0: This is FX Medicine, I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook, and I'm here at the Sixth Biocytical Symposium with Dr Amy Myers, who gave a great talk this morning, one which was um, very thought-inspiring. But I've still got some questions. Sure. So, when you look at the interplay of cortisol, estrogens, the thyroid-binding globulin, and then you end up with autoimmune diseases, cortisol seems to be this overarching target not much is obviously said about pregnenolone above that, but is stress therefore, cortisol acts on stress, cortisol is in response to stress, so is stress therefore the linchpin upon which all of these treatments for all of these autoimmune diseases rests?
1: Well, I think that that is several fold. One, um, some people say that all autoimmune diseases really go back to either toxins or infections. And one could even say that a infection is really a toxin. And certainly one could say that stress is a toxin. And we do know that cortisol is very powerful. I mean, it's the go-to drug for many autoimmune conditions, right? I mean, if you have joint pain or swelling, you go get some prednisone, which is a steroid, because it's very powerful. Uh, It can be very helpful to suppress the immune system, but it can also heighten the Mm. immune system. So we need cortisol. And we need cortisol like our ancestors did when we had a saber-toothed tiger that we were running away from. You needed that cortisol. But what's really happening for most people is that we have these l- low levels or high levels for some people all the time. We were meant to have this burst of cortisol, give you the yep. energy, you know, bolster your immune system, and then rest and relax. And we're not having that shut off. So we're having this cortisol all the time, which studies show ultimately can suppress the immune system 40 to 70 percent below your baseline. So it's kind of one of those things with Goldilocks, how Goldilocks wanted her porridge not too hot and not too cold. She wanted it just right. So that's kind of what you want with your cortisol. You don't want it too low because then you're dealing with all kinds of issues if your immune system has been too suppressed either from exogenous cortisol or from internal cortisol. You saw the slide that I had earlier with the a uh, cortisol test and her cortisol was very, very low in the morning, so that can lead to a whole host of problems and we talked about that with the thyroid. Or if you have you know, too much, it can ultimately suppress your immune system below its baseline as well. So you wanna have just the right amount or have it turn on and turn off, and turn on and turn off.
0: So do you think therefore that one of the issues with this non-cyclical steroidal response, if you like, could be why we're seeing such an issue with infections? that the infections can run out the stealth infections and that sort of thing?
1: Well, certainly if you're someone on an immunotype suppressive drug, that's one of yeah, the yeah, main, huge. you know, my father who I wrote about in one of my books uh, was on three heavy, powerful immunosuppressive drugs, getting sick all the time. He did my program, he got off for two years. He was in the chapter about hope. And then when I got sick with toxic mold, he ended up getting sick himself and having to go back on one of his drugs, methotrexate, and yep. within six months got pneumonia and died. So definitely um, in those types of situations, and we all know the story too, right? You are, uh, I use an exam or something, but you know, you're know you studying for an exam and you stayed up all night for two nights in a row and you're thinking, this is amazing. I have all the energy in the world. I p- ace that exam and then you hop on the plane and you go home for the holidays and what happens? You get sick. So certainly, you know, stressful—you know—it's called stressful suppression. Stressful situations over time, again, can reduce your uh, reduce your immune system 40 to 70 percent below baseline. So, I never want to say that anything is the cause. I don't think anything is the one cause. I mean. In my programs, I talk about there being five root factors, and I think that maybe you could combine some of those and put them into toxins and infections, uh, or maybe you want to say it's all toxins, but I never think that it's one thing. I mean, somebody could come to me with the same diagnosis, three different people with rheumatoid arthritis, and why they have it is all for different reasons. Yep. I have a little pie chart that you all will see tomorrow of toxins, infections, stress, food and leaky gut. And for one person, the main thing could be leaky gut. For somebody else, it could be stress. For somebody else, it could be a toxin. By the time they make it in my office, they got all five of them. So, and it's rare that somebody doesn't have all five of them. So I, I don't think that anything, anybody can be discussing in terms of uh, disease, infection, chronic disease. Anybody who says, I have the magic bullet. It's this one thing. Once we get this one thing, you got it. But stress is probably the most under or uh, overlooked and uh, underrated, if I could say, in terms of its impact or its um, effect on chronic conditions.
0: You, you would have been an absolute nightmare to your medical mentors, wouldn't you? <laughs> You're saying, there's not one cause. <laughs> what? There's one cause. <laughs> How did you fit in with, with the medical machine?
1: Yeah. So uh, I kept my eye on the prize. Uh, I went to medical school late. I was a Peace Corps volunteer, and um, saw that I, you know, wanted to become a doctor of natural medicine, and decided I wanted an MD, as I spoke about this morning, rather than getting a naturopathic degree or something like that, just for my own internal self. And it was very difficult, and I just kept my eye on the prize and just had faith that one day I would find. What it is that I'm doing right now, and I just kept my eye on that prize, but it made for some very difficult uh, days in the ER and nights in the ER and nights in the ICU and all kinds of things. Um, I mean, I do think that conventional medicine has its place. Um, I mean, there we are cool. very good at heart attacks, at car accidents, at gunshots. I mean, uh, you know, if I got a gunshot or got in a car accident, I wanna go to the ER, which is why I became an ER doctor, because I felt like, If I was gonna practice medicine, that was an area that I could believe in that I did think that we did well. But the other things in terms of prevention or chronic disease, uh, I think that they have some lessons that they could learn from all of us here.
0: You said a little bit before about the the single bullet, the magic bullet, and we've, we've been through these. We've been through the cortisol revolution. We've been through the bioidentical hormones. It's the answer to everything. It's the panacea, and it's not. So what warnings would you give us? about looking for that one thing, that, that you know, the God particle, if you like, the of natural medicine?
1: Um, I think just don't be swayed by that. I mean, I do think that there are some things that we're learning about, like the gut microbiome and leaky gut and fixing your gut and eat, eating a healthy diet. Now, what does that mean? If you ask a vegan versus a, somebody who's eating paleo versus somebody who's eating raw versus somebody who's... Eating junk food, they might all tell you something different, but I think that we can all agree that eating lots of, you know, real whole foods, whether it includes meat or not, you know, that's kind of up to you personally. Nobody's gonna argue with that. You know, decreasing your stress levels. I mean, I think there's some very basic things, which again, go back to the five root factors that I talk about in my book, but I think we can all agree to eat a really good, healthy diet full of real whole foods. You know, he- healing our leaky gut and looking out for a microbiome. Uh, dealing with our stress, or what I say in my book, relieving stress, taming your toxins, and um, healing infections. And that kind of is a magic bullet, although it's not one magic bullet, and I'm sure we'll come up with more magic bullets, but um, I think trying not to get swayed by there's one thing, and what works for one person may not work for another. Uh, And you know, as I said before, one person may really need to focus on the gut, and somebody else may really need to focus on toxins, and somebody else may need to focus on stress. So there's not necessarily a perfect or a right way to do it. You yourself as an individual and all of your patients are an individual. So really figuring out, you know, listening to them uh, is so crucial to find out what, you know, what in their history or what are they telling you is the most important. Just super quickly, a, a little bit of a divergence, but I had this one patient. I've forgotten what country she was from, somewhere in Africa. She was a translator and she was a translator for traumatized, you know, literally victimized women in her country and as a translator you have to use the words i she can't say she she said this so every day at her job she was reliving a trauma because she herself had been abused or been attacked and raped and and so she was doing this for other women and she felt that it was her life's calling as you can imagine she Mm -hmm. really wanted to be able to be the voice for these women but in doing that every day she had to say i this and she was reliving this trauma by taking on someone else's story And part of her healing journey, as hard as it was for her, because she was the voice for these unheard women, she left her job. And it was only then that her vitiligo started getting better. So you you really have to listen to your patients. I mean, if, if I wasn't really listening to her and I had to say, tell me about your job. I mean, if I didn't really get in there and listen that she had to say, I this, I that every day and take on all that trauma, I would have totally overlooked it. Or if I didn't even know what she did for a job, We might be sitting here spending all this time talking about is she eating rice or not, right? And really focusing on, you know, some minuscule thing that has nothing really, yeah, it might heal her gut faster. She's not eating rice. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. But if we didn't really get in there and hear from her what was her personal story that was keeping her trauma and her stress alive, she was never going to get well. So for the practitioners listening and for the people out there speaking, make sure your story is being heard to your practitioner.
0: With regards to nutrients, uh, it's been said that uh, selenium makes iodine safer. Very throwaway sort of comment. And uh, fraught with Um, issues when we're looking at trials, when we're looking at these studies that have been done. What's your message with selenium? Maybe a little bit different from the US to Australia, but what's your general message with regards to selenium when you're treating thyroid disease?
1: Well, as I mentioned in my talk today, there are studies showing that, you know, reducing thyroid antibodies, TPO antibodies, by up to 60% or in 60% of people taking at least 200 micrograms of selenium. So, you know, I think it is important to get many of the nutrients that I spoke about in my talk this morning because that is a huge reason that I'm seeing people with thyroid dysfunction, not only autoimmune thyroid dysfunction, but just thyroid, low thyroid or not making those conversions. People aren't getting those nutrients like tyrosine, like zinc, like selenium, like iodine. So I do think it's important. I mean, I mentioned it before. I formulated a multivitamin as I was writing my book. I looked to try to find a multivitamin that had 200 micrograms of selenium and had iodine. I mean, and I looked high and low and I really couldn't find one, even from very reputable companies that I had been using in my clinic. And so both for ease of patients to be able to have one thing that they could go to, as well as knowing that that was something that was important, I I included those, you know, in in a multivitamin. So I do think that they're important. um, But as I mentioned also earlier, in terms of, iodine in particular, you have to be, in my opinion, very careful about that and going up to those milligram dosages of it. Selenium, I mean, I don't typically go over about 200 micrograms and then plus whatever somebody's getting in their diet. But if somebody's saying, oh, I'm eating five Brazil nuts a day and I'm doing your multi, well, you know, I would caution them one because you don't know how much is in a Brazil nut based on the soil it's been grown in and each individual nut. But yeah, I mean, any... Anything that's good can ultimately become bad. You Mm. never want to overdo any one thing.
0: I've got to thank you personally for coming to Australia and sharing your personal story as well as your clinical expertise, but also in dispelling some of these myths because again, one of these things that we've been through has been the iodine controversy where people were using massive doses of iodine and running if nothing else, a foul of the endocrinologists. <laughs> so Yeah, with... I
1: mean, it's, it's just very tricky. I think if anybody's going to do that, they need to work with somebody who mm. really knows what they're doing and not to discredit anybody, but I don't know how much research has been done for anybody to really know what they're doing other than their own clinical experience. And it's not something I use at that high a dose in my personal clinic.
0: So rather than me hogging the microphone, is there anybody that would like to um, ask any questions of Dr. Amy Myers from the audience?
2: The- The exact relationship between oestrogen and the conversion of T4 into T3, does high oestrogen impede the conversion or not?
1: Yes. It does. It does and it also, it shifts that conversion, uh, blocks the conversion to T3 from T4. And also it's just going to bind up more of your thyroid hormone in general.
2: And testosterone.
1: Well, you know, testosterone specifically, that I don't, you know, there's not as much awareness surrounding that. However, as likely you know, all of your hormones ultimately convert into estrogen in order to get cleared. So if you're somebody who's going to, you know, maybe you're PCOS or something like that, and you just naturally have a much higher testosterone, you're ultimately going to break that down into estrogen, which then could raise your estrogen and then ultimately have those problems.
2: And I see patients who might have a low t for yet at normal TSH, is the TSH affected more by T3 or T4? It's not known. Um,
1: Well, it's affected by both of them in terms of the negative feedback. And when someone says normal, or I guess you said a a low TSH?
2: Uh, Normal TSH, but a low T4. And the TSH not rising.
1: Right. So it can be affected by both of them, and that's where you really want to look at the whole picture and also make sure that you're, you know, if something's not making sense, you know, looking at multiple, looking at it many different times, because as I said, it's, it's, your thyroid is changing in every minute of every day. It's like a movie and you're getting one freeze frame from that movie. You're not getting, so, I mean, i found things even in a particular day or even like I mentioned the same blood draw, send it off two different samples, you get slightly different, um, you know, you can get slightly different values. So it's really important if something's not fully making sense to just keep checking it. I mean, as we all learned in medical school, you know, the first thing to do when you get a really weird lab is repeat it.
2: And my last question is, women on the pool, how often does it distort the thyroid results?
1: Um, Well, clinically speaking, I try to get everybody off the pill. That's a whole different story about the pill. But uh, so I typically get people off before, you know, I'm seeing that distortion. I think that it's more binding it. But if you have a thyroid that's working optimally, your thyroid's then going to produce more thyroid hormone, right? So it's really the people that I see that are on supplemental thyroid hormone that when they have a hormonal change, like going on the pill or something else or pregnancy, that maybe their thyroid isn't functioning quite as optimally. So they can't make up that difference. But the average person, if your thyroid's working normally or optimally and you go on the pill, if it's binding up too much thyroid hormone, your body should make enough to then compensate for that. Um, You mentioned about the selenium bringing down the thyroid antibodies, and you obviously have a formulation for hypothyroid, including iodine. But for Graves or hyperthyroid, would you be thinking still about the selenium and a similar formulation minus the iodine, or how would you treat that? I give both Graves and Hashimoto's iodine. So that is just, again, one of those things that you see that the doctors tell you is an absolute no-no. And clinically, I have not seen it as an issue. I have seen it as an issue in those high milligram dosages, uh, but not in the microgram dosages. Again, I'm repleting something that we used to naturally get in our diet. It's not like I'm giving 300 micrograms. It's like used to be in our salt, used to be in what we'd eat with sea vegetables. No longer there. So this isn't, I'm not giving mega dosages of anything. I mean, this is optimally that normally you would have gotten, I mean, it also boggles the mind when the doctors say don't eat iodine and you have thyroid disease because naturally these things would be in foods and in our soil. They're just getting depleted from our soil. So it's not that I'm actually giving somebody over and above, I'm just repleting what naturally disappeared over time. Mm I ask because I personally have a story and I've had a few patients because of my own story with graves and myself and others have all been iodine deficient. Yeah. So it's a huge question on you know you really want to treat a deficiency but some people have some really strong views of of what can happen so I really appreciate your answer thank yeah, you. Yeah, sure. Hi. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Can you please address the possible issues with a ketogenic diet with thyroid health? And then, if someone is benefiting from a ketogenic diet in terms of seeing mental health benefits, how you could possibly adjust that so you're not getting some of the issues that we are hearing about with thyroid health and hormonal health? Sure, so since most of my patients tend to be autoimmune, and autoimmune tends to happen more in women, and then I have probably more thyroid autoimmune patients, and they tend to have adrenal issues, and most of that is happening at times of change, i.e. women in their 40s or so, I personally find in my clinic, most of my patients do not do so great on a ketogenic diet because as you're going through those hormonal changes and you have adrenal issues, you just need more carbs. Um, I personally, you know, and this isn't just a bias, I mean, I tried it and it didn't work so great for me either. Again, this is one of those things that if you have somebody and they're doing it and they're thriving on it, by all means, continue it. If they're not thriving on it, if they're crashing, if they're feeling worse, not right for them and in my population like i said women in their 40s adrenal issues thyroid issues autoimmune issues s- many of them don't do that there are some that do th- thrive really well so th- i i mean that's just what i've found that um Certainly I mention it if they have any type of, you know, seizure disorder, neurologic, brain, you know, MS, Parkinson's, you know, any cancer. I mean there's a whole, you know, thing about fasting prior to chemotherapy and cancer. I definitely bring it up as something for them to try. But if they're not doing well on it, I don't push it. Um, and then what was the second part of your question? Or did that no, I think you addressed it. So okay. they're doing well from a mental health point of view, but we're trying to keep them on a ketogenic diet, but we're concerned about the issues with thyroid and, and the adrenals. Yeah, I mean, this is just where you listen to people, right? I mean, I have, you know, sort of my basic diet, which is a sort of an autoimmune paleo diet. Um it's it's lower carbs, certainly than a standard American diet, but it's not so low that it's ketogenic for people. And if we need to go ketogenic, we will. And if you do great on it, awesome. And if you don't, we back off, and some people just need to ease into it, and then they do great. So, you just really, again, listening to your patient and finding what works for them individually. Hi.
2: Um, okay. I'm just wondering how you deal with different levels of motivation and compliance with patients. Mm. So, I find I see the whole spectrum, <laughs> and I wonder if you magically attract perfect patients. I magically and if attract <laughs> perfect patients. What tools and tricks do you uh, yes, rely on? I
1: uh, really. Um, <laughs> It's unfortunate when people ask me that question because, yes, after you've written two books and people fly across the world and you have a year and a half waiting list and then you're not seeing patients and, you know, suddenly all you get is the person who is like, tell me to jump and I'll I'll ask is how high. So I am very, very blessed. And for most of my time, um, that has been the case. So, uh, but if you know me, then you know that I'm pretty much, my whole philosophy every time was, if I meet you somewhere and we're chatting and you don't say, oh my God, I've been looking all over for a doctor just like you, could I have your card? I never once convinced anybody to come to me. So I always just presented. First of all, I think that you attract your clients. And I'm a person of, you know, I don't mince words. I don't sugarcoat things. I'm just me. So I attracted those kind of people who wanted that. You know, I mean, there's a woman who practices in town with me. We're very, very good friends. We are the complete opposite. And, you know, she attracts people who want that. I mean, I got the people who are like, tell me what to do. I came to you to tell me what to do. Tell me exactly what to do. Um, So I guess what I would just say to you, and then I also have a registered dietitian on staff. And so... They would always say that I was the hurricane and then she was the calm after the hurricane. (laughs) That they'd come in and I'd be like, here's everything you have to do. And they would just like walk out like, oh, my God. And they'd stumble into her office and she'd be like, "Okay, here's what (laughs) we're going to do. That was, of course, before I wrote the books. Now they know what to expect. And of course, now I get all the people who have already done all that. And then they're still sick and then they need help. Uh, But what I would say, just if you're a practitioner, is just to be yourself. And you'll attract those people. So if you have the, I'm only going to work with people who, I'm not going to have to baby you. I'm not going to have to run after you. I'm not going to have to whatever. You're setting out to the universe. If you want to work with me, this is what's going to happen. I mean, we also would spend uh, like 30 minutes, an hour, sometimes multiple hours on the phone with people before they came. It was like, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what it would cost. I was totally transparent. All my fees are on the website. How many hours you were going to be there? I mean, I hate going somewhere and I'm like, what's it going to cost me? How yeah. long am I going to be here? What's you know? My husband and I are so different. He's in the other room, uh, but uh, you know, he's like, he'll come and I'm like, well, how much is it? How long are we going to be there? What's the day going to look like? Did it? he's like, I didn't ask any of that, and I'm like, what? How could you possibly <laughs> like go venture out for eight hours and not like know what's going to happen? So. I would tell everybody exactly what was going to happen, how much it was going to cost, what we were going to do. You know, everything, you know, you were going to have to give up all these foods. This is what you're going to have to do, but it's going to take this long. And so people knew, even from the get-go, what was going to happen when they came. We gave them a binder. We told them exactly what was going to happen that day. What was gonna, And so the, the, the stage got set before, you know, they ever saw me. That was the person on the phone. And so, and then of course, then the hurdles just got a little bit higher as, you know, the word got out. But uh, that's what I would just say it's just be yourself and you'll attract, you know, the kind of patients that you want. I mean, set out what you want and then you will attract those people. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I test quite a few patients for iodine and about 80% are deficient. And um, I've never done a loading dose of iodine prior to the test. Do you think that's necessary? Well, I spoke this morning, I personally don't test iodine because there seemed to be a lot of controversy surrounding that test. And um, so there are two reasons I I don't test for iodine. One is there seems to be a lot of controversy surrounding the test, and I don't know how reliable it is. So if I don't know that what I'm testing is that I know how to act from it, then it kind of seems like why do that. Uh, But my understanding from that test is you are supposed to do a loading dose of 25 to 50 milligrams of, you know, iodine or iodorol. Uh, the second reason is it's like leaky gut. There is a test for leaky gut, and I do sometimes test that if people, there are two reasons I do test: One, so that I know what to do. Two, because the patient wants to know. So uh, I typically do tests that I don't know what to do if I don't have the test, or I need the test to back up what I'm doing should something happen, right? So I'm going to assume that if you have thi- thyroid issues, particularly autoimmune, you've got a leaky gut and you have an iodine deficiency. So I'm just gonna treat those two things. So it's not gonna change what I'm gonna do, but if a patient wants something, that's a whole nother reason to do something. But then then that gets into, I don't know how reliable that test is personally. So that's why I don't do that test.
0: And with that, I think we will wrap it up. Thank you so much. Absolutely, Amy Myers.
1: thanks for having me.
0: You can find all the videos from the FX Medicine Live stage at the 6th Bioseuticals Research Symposium in Melbourne by going to the FX Medicine website and clicking
1: on Industry Insights under the Community tab.